I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Join us for a journey. As we go back to the great civilizations of the past, who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 22, Shalmaneser III. Last time on the Fan of History, Eshernasirpal, the second of Assyria, rules the Near East. He has beaten everyone, and all nations live in fear of him. Last time he reigned over ten rather peaceful years as the master of the universe. We also introduced Jezebel and the tyrannic rule of Li, king of Zhou China. Well, Dan, where are we at now? Uh, we are going to talk about Shalmaneser III today, and this is very exciting because Shalmaneser is a is a figure. Once I started looking at the Syrian history, uh, I was so fascinated by Ashurbanipal II that Shalmaneser fell into shadow somewhat, and I thought, okay, this is just some copy of him, but um, we will have a couple of interesting episodes with Shalmaneser, and the more I research this, the more he grew on me. <laughs> but before we talk about Assyria, we have to go to Egypt, uh, just to check in with the Egyptians. That will be so hard to do in a couple of episodes, so while we still can, we will check in <laughs> with them. Uh, Osorkon II has reunified Egypt again ruling from the north as a ruler of the 22nd dynasty. This is the third intermediate period. It will always be the third intermediate period, <laughs> pretty much, while we podcast, because that lasts for uh, a long time. Uh, Osirkon has a son called Nimlot C, just to distinguish him from other Nimlotits. Nimlotis. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of Nimlots running around. Yeah. 
you'll see this in Egyptology that uh, there's an A, B, or C after people's names, and that's just to distinguish them because people often are named the same. Gotcha. And th that is when they are not kings, because then they get a number. Uh, so Osokon, San Nimlotzi, is the high priest of Amun in Thebes in the south then, sort of helping his dad control the north, just like Shoshenk did with his sons. Ah. Uh, but in this time, and it's pretty peaceful, Osokon II, perhaps, this is much disputed, and we will dispute it uh, in the next episode, <laughs> but Osokon II perhaps has time to look outside Egypt, just like Shoshek did, and what he sees outside Egypt is really worrying, because he sees, oh, those Assyrian guys are, like, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> And one day they will come here and take our stuff. So yeah, he is worried about the Assyrians. Rightfully so. There's, <laughs> they're, they're doing a lot of running around up there. Yeah, and uh, one day the Assyrians will actually come and take the stuff. But that's much later. So let's go to 859 BC and the... Uh, Probably not tragic at all event that Ashurnasipal II dies. Uh, we very seldom hear how the Assyrian kings die, but this seems to have been peacefully. He has chosen his successor long ago. I think he did that a couple of episodes back. Right. And that is his son, Shalmaneser III. We don't know if it's the eldest son, but it's the most fitting son in his father's eyes. Gotcha. He's, he's the master of the universe. He can choose who he wants. Yeah. So Ashurnasipal has had this fantastic reign. He has won 14 wars, at least. He is a strong king that built an empire. Many call him the founder of the Neo-Syrian Empire. And every neighboring state fears him and hates him. So Ooh. this son has a pretty hard task ahead of him because as we said last time the vassal states and the, the neighbors they're just waiting for Ashurnasipal II to die because in living memory it has not been like this there has been weaker kings on the Assyrian throne and once the sun takes over we can crush him and take back our our liberty makes sense <laughs> so uh, Shalmanisha has a big task ahead of him and uh, I have like a personal story to relate. Okay, sure. Because it reminded me of a situation in my own family history. My, my grandfather was a businessman. Yeah. He wasn't evil, but he was pretty focused. So he pissed <laughs> people off and he had a lot of projects. And um, yeah, he, he would uh, make sure he made a profit. So. Uh, and a lot of people were pissed off at him, and I don't know if they lived in fear of him, but at least they couldn't do anything about it as long as he was alive. But right. he suddenly died at the age of 65, leaving behind my father as the eldest child, and he was only 21. So my dad had to take over everything and try to uh, sort of not lose money in the process. Right. Fortunately, my dad had been studying economics, so he was just just finished, actually, so he sort of knew what all of this was about. Uh, but my father wasn't Chalmanis III, so he sold it by being correct and kind, pretty much. 
Uh, but that's not the way I shall manage to handle this problem. <laughs> oh, I see. So he's not going to try to win them over with love and affection. Uh, no, with one exception. Oh. Okay. So let's talk about Shalmaneser the third. Then he, uh, the name means the god Shulmanu is preeminent. So like most Assyrian kings' names, it's a, yeah, it's a prayer almost. Right. And he is a pretty ruthless, strong king, but he's not a crazy massacring guy as his dad. Uh, it seems that uh, I. I don't, we will look at that while we do this, but I don't think I find the, find the, I found a real massacre by Shalmaneser III. Maybe he just didn't mention them because they were so commonplace. <laughs> just another massacre, another day, another massacre. Yeah, and the first time I went through this, I thought he was like, he, oh, he's just 95% of Ashurnasipal II, but he's different enough to become a great king in his own right. Hmm. And he will fight 34 wars for Assyria. Oh my gosh. He, is, he also has a different situation than his father because the wars of his father has allied uh, his enemies. So the states of the West have realized that, of Syria and Lebanon and stuff, they have, to, they have realized that they have to work together to stop Assyria. And the mountain tribes to the north in Armenia and Turkey, they have also united into this new nation, Urartu. So his, his enemies are better equipped and uh, better at fighting than his dad's enemies were. That can't be good for him. So what do you think he does? What's the plan? He has a two-step plan for his first year. This is like he hits the ground running <laughs> with his plan. Okay, so he's got enemies, united enemies to the west, and united enemies to the north. Yeah, and uh, there, there's uh, ununited enemies to the east in the Sagros Mountains in Iran. All right. But they haven't organized yet, really. Hmm. Well. What's to the south? That would be Egypt? Ah, Babylonia. Babylon. Oh, that's right. And remember, Babylonia is ruled by Nabu Apluidina, who has managed to keep Ashurnasipal uh, on friendly terms, even though he actually sent soldiers to fight Ashurnasipal. He managed to get out of that somehow. So we have this talker. really clever king in uh, Babylonia. And uh, they make an alliance. This step one is to get a best friend. So Shalmaneser <clears throat> renews this alliance. Uh, remember, ancient alliances are always between people. Right. And now, I, I'd like to imagine this, but this I don't have this, but I think Nabu Aplidina says, your father was my great ally, and I will do this for his son, but you must remember this and do this for my son. Ah. Because later events... Um, include some out-of-character acts by Shalmanis III that implies that something like that was said. I gotcha. But they become the best of buddies. They're like, really, they, they really keep up this peace. And there's a lot of cultural exchange. Uh, the cults of the Babylonian gods uh, increase in Assyria. They're like always there. The Assyrians think that Babylonian gods are cool. <laughs> so... <laughs> They're very chic. 
Very chic gods to worship. <laughs> yeah, so um, you often find like the difference between Babylonian gods and Assyria only has one god, but they need to fill out their rooster of gods, <laughs> and it's uh, <laughs> it's by the Babylonians. So you'll often find Babylonian gods in Assyrian kings' names, for example. Uh, but that was the first step then, the, the big southern border, which is extremely hard to defend, that's uh, safe. And then we are now like in the first month of Shalmanese III's rules, it's time to attack. Heck yeah. And the plan is to attack everyone and hmm. beat them up, just like his dad did. <laughs> Don't discriminate. <laughs> yes. Everyone but, gets gets hit. Yeah, but it's the the method of attack is this yearly campaign, so it can only go in one direction. I know Ashinasipal managed to go in two directions in one year, but the the normal thing is that it goes in one direction. Right. And Shalmaneser chooses for his inaugural campaign, the first of these thirty-four wars. Wow! To go north to the new kingdom of Urartu, which is now one year old. And it was founded by Arami. Remember Arami, as in uh, Armenians. Mm -hmm. And he put a capital in Sigunia. That's uh, this is hard without the map, but it's pretty far south. There is a big, pretty salty lake called Lake Van, that okay. is the center of the Rajan Kingdom. And you can see it easily on a map if you look at the border between Turkey and Armenia. Okay. It's the biggest lake. It's almost a sea. The uh, Assyrians call it the Sea of Nairi, so they think it's the sea. Uh, and he has built his capital on the southern side of Lake Van, and that's not pretty good, because uh, Shalmaneser just marches through the... They have sort of started planning building a lot of mo mountain fortresses to prevent an Assyrian invasion, but they are not finished. And uh, <laughs> Shalmaneser gets to uh, Kubushkia, which is an important southern region in Urartu, and he ravages it. Just and Arami shows up with the, all the Urartian soldiers he can mm -hmm. get his hand on, and he gets instantly mega defeated by Shalmaneser. <laughs> so he runs back to his capital and walls up. Uh, but uh, Shalmaneser besieges the capital, sacks it, and burns it to the ground, pretty much. Which is the treatment given to any city that he or town that he can find in Urartu. <laughs> just burns them all. Yeah, it's just the natural force of destruction coming into Urartu, then they have no chance. Arami right. escapes this siege of Sigunia. And Shalmanese reaches Lake Van and then he washes his weapons in Lake Van, and that's like a favorite pastime of the Assyrian kings to get to this particular lake and claim victory over the north. Uh, there is a, a still independent kingdom pretty close to Lake Van called the Gilsanu, and they uh, quickly pay tribute to Shalmaneser. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, Shalmaneser <laughs> does a lot of building and stuff. There is the famous Black Obelisk, which is the greatest monument of his time. Uh, but we'll talk about that much later okay. in the 820s. <laughs> so this guy will be wow, around that is sometime. much later. Yes, uh, but he builds a palace at a place called Balavat, and he makes big gates of bronze. And these bronze gates have a lot of story on it, 
and this campaign is described on these bronze gates. So we get a lot of knowledge about Shalmaneser from the bronze gates of Balavat. So I might come back to them. To them. Okay. Uh, Arami arriving on the north side of Lake Van, he decides, okay, this hill is really big, and here is a small town called Arsashkun. I will make that the new capital of Urartu. Fear not, my friends. <laughs> right. Independent kingdom. That's right. They may have burned down the last one. And, yeah, uh, but this one will others. last a thousand years. <laughs> yes. This is Pax Romana here. This, yes. is, this is what's happening. And to get things up to speed in his pretty rich country, and Urartu has all the resources, uh, he uses Assyrian. Uh, he has people have, who have returned from the big uh, building project in Kala, in Ashurnasipal's capital. Yeah. He knows a lot about Assyria, so he just emulates Assyrian everything. They use Assyrian writing at this time, even. And uh, they, they just try to be like the Assyrians, but there is something lacking in the Urartu spirit, and it's probably a good thing that they lack this, but it's the Assyrian fighting instinct. Right. Did they worship the Assyrian gods as well? Mm, it's uh, they will organize their religion pretty soon. So they have their own gods, but they have Assyrian. They do not openly worship Asher. Okay. Their main god will like merge into a carbon copy of Asher. Gotcha. So uh, yeah, but they they will later try to get rid of this Assyrian influence. But right now they are like Assyria light. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Shalmaneser, happy with this campaign, gets to another year, then in 858 BC, he decides, okay, I've beaten up the north pretty good, so I have to go to the west and try to march to the Mediterranean, just like Dad did, and dip my sword in the Mediterranean, like the great kings of old. Uh, but it turns out then to that uh, the... Uh, the states of northern Syria, the Neo-Hittites and the Arameans, they are right. pretty fed up with this. And they, they think this is our one chance to actually stop the Assyrians. There is this new guy, and they just fought this major campaign last year. So, um, Shalmaneser moves out on the campaign. He comes to... God, this is really... This area is the hardest of all. Northern Syria has... <laughs> 20-ish states, at least. Oh my gosh. But uh, we'll try to follow Shalmaneser. He, he marches west from Assyria. Okay. And he comes to Kumuku and Gurgum. They offer uh, tribute um, freely, because they are the closest. They don't want to be in any alliance fighting Shalmaneser. <laughs> right. But when he gets to Samal, also called Sirkiril, <laughs> These names are awesome. He is faced by an alliance of states. So they have allied. And five, st uh, five st four states have joined an alliance to stop the Assyrian royal army. And this is Samal, Patinu, Bit Adini. This was the Aramean tribe that mm -hmm. fought Ashurnasipal so many times. Right. And he massacred them uh, several times, I think. But also the greatest of the Neo-Hittite cities, Karkemish. So the alliance is Samal, Patinu, Bitadini, and remember Bitadini and Karkemish. And it's led by King Sapalulme of Patin. 
so there is the battle, and Shalmaneser just wins it. We don't know how, but and we don't get any record of losses. There's no details. There's just but a them. beginning and an end, right? Yeah. And a nearby other Aramean tribe called the Bitagusi, they were like on the fence if they were joining, but now they pay <laughs> tribute to Shalmaneser. Like, oh, we were never with those guys. Here's our tribute. What right. are you doing? <laughs> So they, they survive, um, but um, the, the battle is won, but Patin, he moves on to Patin. And his father has play, placed the city of colonists here uh, during his campaign. So I assume he gets some local aid and su supplies and stuff. Right. Uh, Shalmaneser, this is still in 858 BC. <laughs> Shalmaneser lays siege to uh, the city of Alisir at modern Antakya. There is a fortified city uh, called Sapalulme. It's, uh, it's the fortified city of Sapalulme, the king of the alliance. Okay. And this needs to be besieged then, because they're hiding out there after their defeat. But the alliance is joined by three more northern states. They are in Turkey today. Uh, it's, they're called Q, Kilaku and Yasbuku. And the state of Q is the one to remember. It's uh, Q-U-E. Okay. This state will defy Shalmaneser for a long time. They really don't like Shalmaneser. So now there are seven states who are trying to defend this fortified city. But uh, that doesn't work. So Shalmaneser besieges it and takes it. Wow. Uh, and this breaks the resistance of Patin. So Shalmaneser finds uh, another guy from Patin called Kulparunda, and he is now the new king of Patin. So I make you the king of Patin, and you now have to obey me. And Kulparunda goes, of course I will, Shalmaneser. <laughs> right. Why we would I do We never liked Sapalulme. Yeah, those guys are jerks. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, now Shalmaneser finally walks home from his second war. And I don't think he reached the Mediterranean. Huh. He was pretty close, but I don't think he got there this time. It's unclear, though. Um, let's switch over to Greece. All right. Greece. Greece will soon uh, occupy most of our podcast. <laughs> but not yet. Okay. We talked about... We mentioned the island of Euboea before. It's the second biggest island in Greece. It's uh, docked like a ship outside of Attica and to the north of Attica. It's pretty big and it's uh, a backwater today, I think. Hmm, okay. You never hear of it. No. I, I didn't know of it before I started researching it, but it's actually a huge island. I wonder why. Has, I don't know, actually. Uh, there are two ancient cities on this island that are the big, the strongest and most prosperous cities in Greece at this time. Okay. They are Chalcis and the other city, which name is uh, contested. The other city will soon be called Eritrea, but it might be called Lefkandi at this time. And Lefkandi is the more famous name. Uh, because the Lefkan name of Lefkandi is given name to a war, which will come later. Okay. But these two cities are mentioned in the Iliad, 
as Mycenaean cities, so they have been around. And it's possible that you be an island got spared from the Dorian invasion, so they are Achaeans. Uh, and uh, they're traveling all over the Aegean Sea. They have frequent contact with the Phoenicians. And I think Chalcis uh, itself is the single most powerful town in Greece because there are really no cities at this time in the 850s BC. Okay. So remember Chalcis and let's call it Old Eritrea. Okay. Because the, the site of Eritrea itself actually doesn't show habitation before the, the end of the 8th century BC, like the 710s or something. And that's a little bit of a mystery because Eritrea seems to be around this time, so it must have been located at another place. And the possible location is the town of Lefkandi. All right, enough with the Greece. They will take up all our time. <laughs> okay, we'll get back to them. I was thinking we would do should do some culture. Okay, that sounds good. There is an epic literary work from this time, and this is probably written during the reign of Nabu Aplidina. It's from Babylon. The Babylonians are culturally much more advanced than the Assyrians at this time. And uh, it's the era epic. Era is the god of mayhem, pestilence, and political confusion. So that's <laughs> quite an interesting god. Right. And we even have the name of the writer. He's Kapti Ilanu Marduk. And he claims proudly to be a descendant of Dahibi. But I have no idea what the Dahibi is. Hey, it's important to him. And he says that uh, he dreamt all of this. And you, you think a text that is 2,800 years old would be like a, a rare discovery. Right. Like, yeah, we found this old text, but we have found 36 copies of the era epic. Wow. In uh, five sites. And this is more copies than, copies than, than the epic of Gilgamesh. That must have been super popular. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I, I think it was actually because Babylon is having a rough time. They have their first good king in a long while here, and he's trying to restore Babylon right. and the surrounding area to prosperity. But there are the Arameans in the fields, and uh, Syria is much bigger. Uh, trading hasn't really taken off as they wanted. So hmm. things are rough. Gotcha. And, the thing this work is about is why this happened. Why did the Armenians come? Why did Babylonia fall into this bad position? And it explains why the gods have done this and why Era was allowed, this god of mayhem was allowed to rule for so long. But also now that his rule is over and uh, Marduk is back in control. And great things are ahead for Babylon. Ah, there you go. So this is the pep talk to Babylonia. Say, this is the book of hope, is what this is. Yes. So, yeah, we're, it's going to happen for us. It's going to be great. And they may or may not be right about that. Dun, dun, dun. So. All right. What's, uh, okay, so. Back to Shalmaneser. Yeah, Shalmaneser. 
Okay. Well, the Bittadini, they defied his father yep. several times, and now they joined in this alliance against him. So he wants revenge from them. And the city of Karkemish, the greatest of the new Hittite cities, the rich city of Karkemish, which was always loyal to Asher Nasibald II, they also joined this alliance. Whoa. So they are traitors. And in 857 BC, it's time to punish the traitors. <laughs> That's right. And they're also really close to Assyria. So they, they probably made a pretty bad decision by joining the line. <laughs> I was about to say, you don't want to be the in-between. You want to be I, someone who's way far on the outside of this. <laughs> yeah, they're much closer than Patin or Sam, Samal was. So I don't know if they, if Chalmanese even didn't know about this before he got to Patin last year. So he might feel really betrayed. Oh, yeah. And they are now uh, in trouble. The Bittadini capital is a town called Tilbarsit, and this is as good as Aramean towns get. It's uh, fortified and pretty big. Okay. And that's where he goes first. So he besieges Tilbarsip. Uh, he takes it. But then he suddenly goes, no, let's not raise it to the ground. Let's preserve it. And the army goes, uh, what? That's what to say. That, that, that made me think that. It's like, wait, whoa, whoa why? And Shalmanese goes, I have a plan for this city. So oh, okay. the army moves on. Leaving the city of Tilbarsi pretty intact, but probably the entire population is enslaved or deported or something. So he's still in control of the city. And he moves to a fortress blocking the way to Karkemish. It's called Sasabi, and he takes that as well. Ah. And now Karkemish goes like, Oh, you Shalmani, sir. Oh, there was a misunderstanding last year. <laughs> right. We didn't like our fortress. <laughs> and <laughs> you can have that. Here's some tribute. <laughs> right. We, we like you, just like we liked your father. And right. Shalmani goes, Really? Oh, yes, yes. And... Um, he says, okay, Karkemish, you're fine, you're good. And the neighboring states, Patin, Samal, Bitagusi, and Kumuku, they all pay tribute quickly when they <laughs> see this happening. And then the Bitadini arrives saying, oh, of course, we, we say the same things as Karkemish. We also want to pay tribute. But Shalmanis says, there will be no tribute for you. Dun, dun. And he moves the Assyrian army right into the Bitadini territory and uh, decides that these guys are, have betrayed us once too, too many times, so they are going to get wiped out. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, it takes the entire area, and he reveals his plan for their city till Barsip. He right. renames it Cal Shalmaneser. Oh. <laughs> it pretty much means Fort Shalmaneser. So it's a military town. Sure. And it becomes the great hub of the Neo-Syrian Empire for anything going on in Syria. So it becomes a huge military base for the Assyrians. And it will be super important for uh, uh, more than 200 years, actually, after this. So did he effectively just extend the empire there permanently yes this is also one of the points where uh, you can say that the middle assyrian empire was reclaimed because it is pretty unclear what the borders were um the assyrian as this was their goal but they never like go oh we accomplished our goal because they, they just keep going sure but this is a, a, a rare treatment in this time. The, you know, he normally takes tribute from people and maybe puts a king in place. But sure. this time, the Bittadini becomes a province of the empire. And the chief of the Bittadini, called Akuni, he actually flees and takes with him a lot of fighting men, all the fighting men that weren't killed. And he just runs away and gets away, actually. Hmm because Shalmaneser has a new problem that he must handle in 856 BC, or an old problem that he thought he just solved. Right. So in 856, he shakes his weapons. All the tributes come in from uh, the West. So he realizes he doesn't need to go to the West. But he hears that the Urartians has built this new capital in Arsashkun. And that Arami is still around, the first king of Urartu. He's like, oh. Everything is going great up here. We are like the Assyrians. <laughs> and Shalmani said, oh, do I have to go to the mountains again? Okay, I'll go to the mountains. Right. And now he starts a yearly campaign from Fort Shalmaneser to like test his new fort. Okay. And Makes it works sense. charmingly. And he now decides to not go straight north because he goes northeast first and then he makes a sweep through Urartu. So he starts at one end of Urartu and just goes through the entire country <laughs> coming out <laughs> on the other side in one of these states that just paid tribute to him. And uh, this is a pretty amazing feat, actually, because there are many Assyrian kings that will try to do this later or will dream of being able to do this because this is rough terrain. Okay. And you have determined defenders, but they, they, haven't, com they haven't really made this chain of fortresses and all the defensive stuff yet. 
but this will be impossible in a couple of years for later kings to do. And Urartu will be strong enough to prevent this. But they can't stop Shalmaneser III. <laughs> <laughs> so he just really lays waste to everything he finds. He just goes on this tour of plunder and pillage through <laughs> the poor mountain people. Oh no. And uh, somewhere along halfway he comes to Arsashkun, the new capital. And Arimi goes like, oh, this place has much higher walls and a better location. You can't take my new capital. <laughs> and there is a giant siege. And we got a rare uh, figure to report from the battle because Shalmaneser actually reports how many soldiers he lost. In oh, wow. The siege. And he lost 3,400 soldiers. Whoa. And that's a pretty big number for that's, this. That's huge. And it's a pretty big number to report. And it's almost like a sign of weakness or respect that they, they lost. So I think Aramie was quite convinced that he would be able to keep this new capital, which was now three years old as the capital. <laughs> but he doesn't. So Arsashkun is ravaged and raised to the ground. <laughs> and uh, Shalmaneser erects a victory stele, you know, these rocks telling everybody that he won on top of a mountain called Mount Eritia. He goes to Lake Van and washes his weapons there again. So I can do this every year, just, just watch me. <laughs> Those weapons are gonna rust if that's a salt lake. He needs uh, to, yeah, he needs to calm down. Weapons. <laughs> I'm sure they do. But Arami, he uh, he survives again. I think he is escaping on the lake, but that's just my theory. He like has this boat ready to go when he sees that the capital <laughs> will be lost, because he's used to this at this point. He's got his escape car, just always running. That's yes, and he says, "I will build a new capital, even bigger. Uh, you can't take that capital." And Shalmaneser screams from the shore, "I'll take your new capital too." I'll get you for the last thing I do. And uh, uh, the priesthood of Ishtar, which is mm -hmm. another Babylonian deity, they yeah. write a poem about Shalmaneser's great victory in Rartu this year. And it has come down to us. Wow. More writing from 3,000 years ago coming back. Yeah, it's quite amazing. And this is nothing compared to what we'll get from the later Neo-Syrian Empire after 745 BC. Then we have like enormous amounts of writing. Oh, okay. And we have like private conversations and people's mail pretty much. <laughs> That's incredible. How so, any of this survives is... Yeah, it's amazing. It, it and is. it's just write everything in stone and it will be preserved. Maybe we should do that. Yeah, maybe we should. Uh, it's, it helps if it's in the desert as well. You know, ah, we, right, got right. we, got, we got desert. Yeah, you could. You don't even this. worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have. Um, so, in 855 BC, Nabu Apli Dina finally dies, the king of Babylon. He has ruled for 33 years. He has seen uh, Assyria rise, he has survived it, he has mm -hmm. uh, helped his own kingdom quite a bit. 
so um, he has military success, which is rare for a Babylonian king. He has a cultural revival on his credit. So this is very much an end of an old era and the beginning of a new for Babylon. The Aramean invasions are over for the big most part. It the the Kassites will never hold power again in Babylon. The Kassites have been it's, it was a mountain tribe that from the Sagros that invaded Babylon way back, long before we started. They have held the kingship for so long, but mm -hmm. they are no longer in power. Um, they seem to be like migrating to the countryside, pretty much hanging out nearby in the Sagros Mountains in Iran. But they are still in Babylon as well, and they will eventually, or pretty soon, form their own kingdom in uh, a small kingdom that is like semi-independent of Babylon. And Babylonian okay. politics is extremely complicated because they are city-states in a sense, but they are still ruled by the king of Babylonia. And that's, there are these tribes, and it's it's complicated. But yeah, that, that's what they're putting on their Facebook status. Yes. It's complicated. So what's the worst thing that can happen if, you're, if your country is divided, really, and you have complicated politics? <laughs> it's usually a civil war. Yes, a se <laughs> secession crisis. Succession? Secession, yeah. Secession crisis. Because uh, there is a son who was the designated heir, Marduk Sakirishumi. But there is a more popular son of the king called Mardu Marduk Bel Usati. Okay, top quiz. What was the name of the first, the designated heir? <laughs> Marduk Sakirishumi? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. the other guy? Uh, Marduk. Bell Usati? Yes. All right. Uh, Marduk Saki, they both tribute their names to Marduk, then the ruling god. Sure. And um, But this, this other son, he has the more support. So there is a civil war. But remember what, what steps uh, Nabu Aplidina took to assure that the right son would rise to the throne. He said, hey, um, Shalmaneser, you, I help you, you help my son. So Marduk Sakirshumi has a powerful friend if he dares <laughs> invoke the Assyrians into Babylonian politics. And that's not an easy <laughs> step to take, because once the Assyrian royal army is running around in Babylon, anything can happen. Right, they're not, they don't, they don't have an off switch. <laughs> no. So, will this extremely violent Assyrian king actually honor his promise? So, I don't think this is a step taken lightly by Marduk Sakirishumi, but if he sees that he's losing the civil war, right. he might have to invoke Shalmaneser. See, like a sword of Damocles. That <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I'm losing anyway, let's invoke Shalmaneser. Yeah, it's, it's damned if I do, damned if I don't. But he doesn't do it straight away, which I think is uh, very telling. So the civil war is raging in Babylonia, and it's Ugh. yet unresolved. That's too bad. Where do you want to go next? We are in 855 BC. And stuff um, is happening all over the world. Right. We haven't talked about uh, China in a while. 
Yeah, we should mention China. The sources are bad. If anyone knows of a good Chinese history for these times, I, I find they're all very sketchy and begin much later. Okay. But I have some information. We have the king, uh, it's called King Li. Mm -hmm. And he's becoming more tyrannical. And he now decides that people are whining too much about his rules. There is a new law that says that if you say anything bad about him, you will be killed. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and that's a sign of a tyrant. Yes. And remember, the Zhou is a pretty small house. They rule China because they have the mandate of heaven and people respect them. They took the mandate of heaven from the Shangs. And if the Chinese get convinced that uh, they no longer have the mandate of heaven, China might, may fall apart or be unified under another house. Or another kingdom even. It's a, more like a, a union of kingdoms at this point. Right. You can all, uh, what, if I've learned anything from my fictional histories, it is that if you are the ruling king and you basically end up pissing off your entire constituency, they can all seem to find someone else who has at least a plausible claim to the throne that they can get behind to oust you. Yeah, and the mandate of heaven mechanism itself, instituted by the Zhou dynasty, it's a perfect tool because if you manage to defeat this ruling house and claim kingship of China, then you obviously have the mandate right. of heaven. God was on our side. <laughs> Still, the Zhou dynasty manages. We are now almost 200 years into the Zhou dynasty and they will stay around for 600 more years. Oh my gosh. But we'll see how close King Li will get to, to the fall of the dynasty. We're still in the Western Zhou dynasty as well. That's important because okay. the Western Zhou actually have a king's power over China. And the Eastern Zhou coming later will be more like figureheads. Gotcha. Okay, this show is about Shalmaneser III. <laughs> and remember... The chief of the Bit Adini, he escaped the final retribution and he's still running around in the countryside with his army being a nuisance. So in 855 BC, Shalman III decides to spend this campaign finding this guy and destroying him. And they locate him. He's a bit south on the west side of the Euphrates in some hills. And uh, yeah. That doesn't go well for the Bitadini. So Akuni, his troops, and all the booty, the sort of royal treasury of the Bitadini, sure. they're all carried back to Assyria. That's what's reported to us. And whenever anything is carried back to Assyria, it usually just disappears from history. Hmm. But we, we never really get an explanation of this term, but they, they are carried back to Assyria. I wonder if they're melted down. <laughs> like if it's gold and stuff. Maybe they are skinned and made into blankets. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what would be the next step now for Shalmaneser? He has defeated northern Syria and they are all tributes. He has uh, ravaged, in this decade alone, he has ravaged two capitals of Urartu. 
Um, so you could either go east into the disorganized tribes of the Sagros Mountains, or he could look to southern Syria. Okay. Um, there is a powerful king in Damascus. I think we mentioned him earlier. He's Haddad Eser. He, this guy has many names, and he's a villain in the Bible. But he's the king of Damascus. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, by far, I think, the most powerful ruler in, in the Levant, sort of eastern shore of the Mediterranean. Okay. And he's really worried. He has had no dealings with the Assyrians. But he has realized now that Shalmaneser III will conquer the entire seacoast if nobody stops him. So Haddad starts talking to people. He's like, we have to stop this pretty, this pity squabbling. He's been fighting Israel and, and everyone pretty much. But he's talking to everyone now and saying, that we are small, the Assyrians are big, we have to unite. We have to do something, because if we don't do something, we're, we'll be gone. Yeah. People start listening to him. And uh, the ruler of the Phoenician city of Byblos, which is in Lebanon today, then, along the seacoast, okay. he maybe sends this message on to Osorkon II in Egypt, that uh, you, you are powerful and we are under threat. Can you do anything? But the king of Tyre, Ithubal, he, he um, doesn't want to hear about this. He's, uh, oh, uh, I don't have time for this. Uh, I don't want to get involved. You do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to fight Shalmaneser III. That's a death sentence. So he's like, I'm out. And he's the only one who's clearly rejecting these Damascus messengers coming to talk about the big fight against the Assyrians. And in Israel, we have King Ahab then and his queen Jezebel, and they also get this message from their arch enemy, Hadad Ezer, where he suddenly talks about peace and uh, uniting together for a common cause. And how will they react? How would you react if you, you have this neighbor who's been fighting you constantly, who suddenly goes saying something like this? Hmm. Well... It would make me stop and think, because, wait a minute, is, first of all, is this a trick? And second of all, if this is that bad, may, maybe we need to look into this a little, a little deeper. Yeah, can we pay tribute? Right. That sounds awesome. <laughs> and this is... Uh, this is very timely because Shalmaneser decides in 853 BCE to go to the west again. And he arrives at the city of Aleppo. And he is, this is the big, the big thing. This will be his biggest campaign. His army is bigger than ever. Right. And he will now dip his sword in the Mediterranean or die. Aleppo is in the way. Uh, they submit, pay tribute, and the Royal, Army, Royal Assyrian Army continue towards the Orontes River, which is an important geographical point. And they pass a lot of cities belonging to Hamath, and Hamath is also a powerful Aramean state, uh, much like Damascus, just a little less powerful. And uh, Shalmaneser just ravages everything he finds in this kingdom. 
But Hamas refuses to pay tribute. And Shalmanisari goes like, this was a bit easy. These cities weren't, well, these towns weren't defended properly. What's going on? Hmm. Hmm. Right. It's a little too easy. (laughs) A little too easy. And then at a place called Karkar, just by the Orontes River, Shalmaneser III arrives and finds an army led by 12 kings. Because Haddad Ezer has managed to unite 12 nations to stop the Assyrian threat. And Haddad Ezer also managed to become the leader of this League of Kings, as it will be called from now on. And they have a huge army. But so has Shalmaneser. What do you think he decides? Oh, it's time to it's time to, to kick some ass is what he's gonna decide. Bring it, <laughs> yeah. Shalmaneser. And our next episode will be the greatest battle the world has ever seen, the Battle of Karkar. This is uh, yeah, the most armed men at one place in world history at the time. <laughs> wow. Okay. That is something to definitely look forward to. Okay, folks, that is going to be it for this episode. Please go to YouTube, like and subscribe, and also share if you enjoy this. Give us a review on iTunes. If you review it, we'll, uh, we will thank you greatly. And heck, if you give us an, an elaborate review or something crazy, I bet we could probably read that on on air for you for sure that would be so think of something go give a review we'll give you a review (laughs) but anyway i appreciate you listening um facebook.com slash fan of history also twitter the fan of history if you want to go to the website it's the fan of history.wordpress.com also on patreon because this is supported fully by you, the listeners, at patreon.com slash fanofhistory. So, for this week, I am Brennan. I'm Dom. And this has been The Fan of History. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.